This is Chapter One of Those Extraordinary Twins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Those Extraordinary Twins by Mark Twain. Chapter One The Twins as They Really Were. The conglomerate twins were brought on the stage in Chapter One of the original extravaganza. Aunt Patsy Cooper has received their letter applying for board and lodging, and Rowena, her daughter, insane with joy, is begging for a hearing of it. "'Well, set down, then, and be quiet a minute, and don't fly around so. It fairly makes me tired to see you. It starts off so. Honored Madam.' "'I like that, Ma, don't you? It shows they're high-bred.' "'Yes, I noticed that when I first read it. My brother and I have seen your advertisement, by chance, in a copy of your local journal. It's so beautiful and smooth, Ma, don't you think so?' "'Yes.' seems so to me. And beg leave to take the room you offer. We are twenty-four years of age, and twins. Twins! How sweet! I do hope they are handsome, and I just know they are. Don't you hope they are, Ma? Land, I ain't particular. We are Italians by birth. It's so romantic. Just think, there's never been one in this town, and everybody will want to see them, and they're all ours. Think of that. But have lived long in the various countries of Europe, and several years in the United States. Oh, just think what wonders they've seen, Ma. Won't it be good to hear them talk? I reckon so. Yes, I reckon so. Our names are Luigi and Angelo Capello. Beautiful. Perfectly beautiful. Not like Jones and Robinson and those horrible names. You desire but one guest, but, dear madam, if you will allow us to pay for two, we will not discommode you. We will sleep together in the same bed. We have always been used to this, and prefer it. And then he goes on to say they will be down Thursday. And this is Tuesday. I don't know how I'm ever going to wait, Ma. The time does drag along so, and I'm so dying to see them. Which of them do you reckon is the tallest, Ma? How do you suppose I can tell, child? Mostly they are the same size, twins are. Well, then, which do you reckon is the best-looking? Goodness knows! <laughs> I don't. I think Angelo is. It's the prettiest name, anyway. Don't you think it's a sweet name, Ma? Yes, it's well enough. I'd like both of them better if I knew the way to pronounce them. The Italian way, I mean. The Missouri way and the Italian way is different, I judge. Maybe, yes. It's Luigi that writes the letter. What do you reckon is the reason Angelo didn't write it? Why, how can I tell? What's the difference who writes it so long as it's done? Oh, I hope it wasn't because he is sick. You don't think he is sick, do you, Ma? Sick, your granny. What's to make him sick? Oh, there's never any telling. These foreigners with that kind of names are so delicate, and, of course, that kind of names are not suited to our climate. You wouldn't expect it. And so on and so on, no end. The time drags along. Thursday comes. The boat arrives in a pouring storm toward midnight. At last there was a knock at the door, and the anxious family jumped to open it. Two negro men entered, each carrying a trunk, and proceeded upstairs toward the guest-room. Then followed a stupefying apparition, a double-headed human creature with four arms, 
one body and a single pair of legs it or they as you please bowed with elaborate foreign formality but the coopers could not respond immediately they were paralyzed at this moment there came from the rear of the group a fervent ejaculation my land followed by a crash of crockery and the slave wench nancy stood petrified and staring with a tray of wrecked tea-things at her feet the incident broke the spell and brought the family to consciousness the beautiful heads of the newcomer bowed again and one of them said with easy grace and dignity i crave the honor madam and miss to introduce you to my brother count luigi capello the other head bowed and myself count angelo and at the same time offer sincere apologies for the lateness of our coming which was unavoidable and both heads bowed again the poor old lady was in a whirl of amazement and confusion but she managed to stammer out i'm sure i'm glad to make your acquaintance sir i mean gentlemen as for the delay it is nothing don't mention it this is my daughter rowena sir uh, gentlemen please step into the parlor and sit down and have a bite and sup you are dreadful wet and must be uncomfortable uh, both of you i mean but to the old lady's relief they courteously excused themselves saying it would be wrong to keep the family out of their beds longer then each head bowed in turn and uttered a friendly good-night and the singular figure moved away in the wake of rowena's small brothers who bore candles and disappeared up the stairs the widow tottered into the parlor and sank into a chair with a gasp and rowena followed tongue-tied and dazed the two sat silent in the throbbing summer heat unconscious of the million-voiced music of the mosquitoes unconscious of the roaring gale the lashing and thrashing of the rain along the windows and the roof the white glare of the lightning the tumultuous booming and bellowing of the thunder conscious of nothing but that prodigy that uncanny apparition that had come and gone so suddenly that weird strange thing that was so soft-spoken and so gentle of manner and yet had shaken them up like an earthquake with the shock of its gruesome aspect at last a cold little shudder quivered along down the widow's meagre frame and she said in a weak voice ugh it was awful just the mere look of that philippine rowena did not answer her faculties were still caked she had not yet found her voice presently the widow said a little resentfully always been used to sleeping together in fact prefer it and i was thinking it was to accommodate me i thought it was very good of them whereas a person situated as that young man is ma you oughtn't to begin by getting up a prejudice against him i'm sure he is good-hearted and means well both of his faces show it i'm not so certain about that the one on the left i mean the one on its left hasn't near as good a face in my opinion as its brother that's luigi yes luigi anyway it's the dark-skinned one the one that was west of his brother when they stood in the door up to all kinds of mischief and disobedience when he was a boy i'll be bound i lay his mother had trouble to lay her hand on him when she wanted him but the one on the right is as good as gold i can see that that's angelo yes angelo i reckon though i can't tell t'other from which by their names yet awhile but it's the right-hand one the blonde one 
he has such kind blue eyes and curly copper hair and fresh complexion and such a noble face oh it is a noble face ma just royal you may say and beautiful dearie me how beautiful but both are that the dark one's as beautiful as a picture there's no such wonderful faces and handsome heads in this town none that even begin and such hands especially angelo's so shapely and stuff how could you tell which they belonged to they had gloves on why didn't i see them take off their hats that don't signify they might have taken off each other's hats nobody could tell there was just a wormy squirming of arms in the air seemed to be a couple of dozen of them all writhing at once and it just made me dizzy to see them go why ma i hadn't any difficulty there's two arms on each shoulder there now one arm on each shoulder belongs to each of the creatures don't it for a person to have two arms on one shoulder wouldn't do him any good would it of course not each has an arm on each shoulder now then you tell me which one of them belongs to which if you can they don't know themselves they just work whichever arm comes handy of course they do especially if they are in a hurry and can't stop to think which belongs to which the mother seemed to have the rights of the argument so the daughter abandoned the struggle presently the widow rose with a yawn and said poor thing i hope it won't catch cold it was powerful wet just drenched you may say i hope it has left its boots outside so they can be dried then she gave a little start and looked perplexed now i remember i heard one of them ask joe to call him at half after seven i think it was the one on the left no it was the one to the east of the other one but i didn't hear the other one say anything i wonder if he wants to be called too do you reckon it's too late to ask why ma it's not necessary calling one is calling both if one gets up the other's got to sure of course i never thought of that well come along maybe we can get some sleep but i don't know i'm so shook up with what we've been through the stranger had made an impression on the boys too they had a word of talk as they were getting to bed henry the gentle the humane said i feel ever so sorry for it don't you joe but joe was a boy of this world active enterprising and had a theatrical side to him sorry why how you talk it can't stir a step without attracting attention it's just grand henry said reproachfully instead of pitying it joe you talk as if talk as if what i know one thing mighty certain if you can fix me so i can eat for two and only have to stub toes for one i ain't going to fool away no such chance just for sentiment the twins were wet and tired and they proceeded to undress without any preliminary remarks the abundance of sleeve made the partnership coat hard to get off for it was like skinning a tarantula but it came at last after much tugging and perspiring the mutual vest followed then the brothers stood up before the glass and each took off his own cravat and collar the collars were of the standing kind and came high up under the ears like the sides of a wheelbarrow as required by the fashion of the day the cravats were as broad as a bank bill with fringed ends which stood far out to the right and left like the wings of a dragonfly and this also was strictly in accordance with the fashion of the time each cravat as to color was in perfect taste so far as its owner's complexion was concerned 
a delicate pink in the case of the blonde brother, a violent scarlet in the case of the brunette. But as a combination, they broke all the laws of taste known to civilization. Nothing more fiendish and irreconcilable than those shrieking and blaspheming colors could have been contrived. The wet boots gave no end of trouble to Luigi. When they were off at last, Angelo said with bitterness, I wish you wouldn't wear such tight boots. They hurt my feet. Luigi answered with indifference, My friend, when I am in command of our body, I choose my apparel according to my own convenience, as I have remarked more than several times already. When you are in command, I beg you will do as you please. Angelo was hurt, and the tears came into his eyes. There was gentle reproach in his voice, but not anger, when he replied, Luigi, I often consult your wishes, but you never consult mine. When I am in command, I treat you as a guest. I try to make you feel at home. When you are in command, you treat me as an intruder. You make me feel unwelcome. It embarrasses me cruelly in company, for I can see that people notice it and comment on it. Oh, damn the people, responded the brother languidly, and with the air of one who is tired of the subject. A slight shudder shook the frame of Angelo, but he said nothing, and the conversation ceased. Each buttoned his own share of the nightshirt in silence. Then Luigi, with Payne's age of reason in his hand, sat down in one chair, and put his feet in another, and lit his pipe, while Angelo took his whole duty of man, and both began to read. Angelo presently began to cough. His coughing increased, and became mixed with gaspings for breath, and he was finally obliged to make an appeal to his brother's humanity. Luigi, if you would only smoke a little milder tobacco, I am sure I could learn not to mind it in time, but this is so strong, and the pipe is so rank, that— Angelo, I wouldn't be such a baby. I have learned to smoke in a week, and the trouble is already over with me. If you would try, you could learn, too, and then you would stop spoiling my comfort with your everlasting complaints. Ah, brother, that is a strong word, everlasting, and it isn't quite fair. I only complain when I suffocate. You know I don't complain when we are in the open air. Well, anyway, you could learn to smoke yourself. But my principles, Luigi, you forget my principles. You would not have me do a thing which I regard as a sin. Oh, bosh! The conversation ceased again, for Angelo was sick and discouraged and strangling, but after some time he closed his book and asked Luigi to sing From Greenland's Icy Mountains with him, but he would not, and when he tried to sing by himself, Luigi did his best to drown his plaintive tenor with a rude and rollicking song delivered in a thundering bass. After the singing there was silence, and neither brother was happy. Before blowing the light out, Luigi swallowed half a tumbler of whiskey, and Angelo, whose sensitive organization could not endure intoxicants of any kind, took a pill to keep it from giving him the headache. End of chapter 1